Automated test framework is your key to reducing the time it takes to do major upgrades and deployments. But what do you really know about ATF? I've got someone here who can tell us. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow developer podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and curious individuals. And I say that with the utmost respect. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow developer podcast. In this episode, I've got the distinct pleasure of talking to Daniel Drace, Outbound Product Management Platform. How are you today, Daniel? Hey, Chuck. Very welcome. Good morning. I'm actually very well as we finally hit summertime back here in Switzerland. Were you hit by any of the the rains or the storms that we've had recently? Uh, Yeah, we had plenty of rain. I think it was the most wet July that we had ever since recording. Well, good for the garden, I guess. (laughs) Well, not too much. We had hail and other stuff. So yeah, but that's a different story. Hopefully you didn't get any of the uh, flooding damage like they did in uh, Northwest Germany. Luckily, no flooding, no fires like they have somewhere else in, in the world, right? So it was just wet. Okay. We can get through wet, and now you've got warm. Yes, a warm right from the start, right? Uh, not used to it anymore, so we are sweating around here. Well, Daniel, welcome to Breakpoint. Before we begin, I always like to get to know our guest a little bit. So tell us about yourself. Oh, sure, Chuck. So, well, I'm, I'm working in the ServiceNow ecosystem for about 10 years or so. I've been working on a customer side, implementing ServiceNow as an ITSM solution. I still remember back in the day when my CEO, CIO there mentioned like, oh, it's just a ticketing tool, right? It's, it's a better version of Excel. We could use paper and pens if we need to. <laughs> uh, you guess why I changed my role, right? <laughs> so I moved over ServiceNow, built, help building up a team of architects in, in Europe um, that uh, worked with customers, our very large uh, customer spaces. And yeah, early on this year, I moved into product management uh, for platform topics, to creator topics. And I think that is what initially brought me to ServiceNow, the, the, the interest in building things and figuring out how far can we take that platform. And you and I have met, oh, I think you were one of my first technical best practices accreditation people. That could be back in, what was that? 12, 13? 13, I, I turned 13, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I turned 2013. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed that exam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should still have it one way or another, right? It, it, it's still still relevant, still important, even though having health scan, instant scan and all the tools. Right. We need to know what they should go, should be looking for. And developers, if you're not already familiar, there are technical best practices published on the developer site. So please go and review those to make sure that you're not shooting yourself in the foot. That was a shameless plug, I know, but they are still out there. They're still maintained for each release. Arguably, maybe not as comprehensive as we once had, but there are some new things in there that weren't there seven years ago, eight years ago. But anyway, uh, when you're not at work, what do you enjoy doing? Well, what I enjoy doing, like like a lot of us, I, I, I did enjoy traveling, touring the world, finding different places, remote places, and, and visiting them, which has been a bit hard in the last couple of months. So I, I, I decided to pick up mountain biking, being in Switzerland, having all the mountains here, um, and, and, and went into buying a new uh, e-bike, e-mountain bike, and going up and down the mountains here. So that that is what I try to do when weather permits and time, obviously. Now, when you say mountains, are you referring to the Alps? Yes. You're biking in the Alps. What's that like? Yes. 
Well, with the e-mountain bike, it's fine, right? You can go uphill. The the engine helps you to get up. Otherwise, I wouldn't probably be able to do that. <laughs> be fairly honest. You know, you'd have thighs <laughs> the size of barrels. <laughs> uh, and, and then downhill is uh, going to trail through the forest and and and, and the, the meadows there. That's that's fun. Every time you hit like a cow, well, you don't hit it literally, but at least it's standing right in front, and you have to find your ways around them. <laughs> <laughs> You're dodging uh, bovine. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah but no, no, it's really fun i, I kind of like it so i'm looking forward to, to the weekends when i can actually do that what do you like best about your job daniel what i like best about my job well i i had a couple of different uh service now jobs or development jobs or even within the company so what i like best now is that i can work with the tools that I like, the creating creating something on the platform. I've never been an ITSM or HR or CSM guy, right? I did it, yes, because it was there and I had to do it and, and, and it made money kind of and brought me where I am. But I like building things, creating things and being creative. So working with these tools that we have, that's what what is the most interesting part for me and, and kind of creating, hopefully creating that enthusiasm with customers transposing them to them and say, look, that's what you can do. And that's how simple it can be if you maybe change your process or your organization or whatever it might be that needs to be adjusted. But that's kind of where, where I really have fun working. Have you had one of those experiences where you're at a customer and they just get that aha moment or, wow, you just saved me all kinds of time? Uh, let me think about that, that aha moment. Um and an aha moment, I think I had a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a C minus one level uh, group of one of our very large customers. And they, they wanted kind of an, they called it an impulse session. Tell us something cool, right? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, uh, went, you went right click, filter out, and they were blown <laughs> away. Sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, for that one, I did kind of a pitch on low code. What is the platform? Why do we want it? And why do we want to have low code and, and pitch towards citizen development? Right? Um, it was like 10 minutes or so. And, and after that, the, the, the C-level guy came back to me and said, you know what? That was very interesting. We never thought about it that way. And I said, okay, so then I achieved something, right? I gave them something to think about. And, and that's kind of what, what, uh, one of these good aha moments. Those are, the, those are the ones that make you feel like it was a good day today. I added yeah, value. Exactly. I did my I'm job. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, what does a typical day look like for you, Daniel? A typical day for me is like, well, it starts off with my dog typically waking me up. I'm not sure if you want to go that bad, that far in the morning. Do <laughs> <laughs> you get the lick, no. licking on the face or the whole deal? Uh, luckily, she's too small, right? She's standing next to the bed and she's still like... <laughs> Get up! I need it. I need out. And, but, and uh, just out of curiosity, as a as a pet owner as well, what time can they? The animals can't tell time. <laughs> well, I think she can. Typically during school time, she knows pretty much exactly when I get up. It's like six thirty, six forty five, and she'll be there. Okay. So dog wakes you up. What does what does a typical day at work look like? A <laughs> <laughs> so typical day at work. Yeah. So I have a lot of interaction with customers, with large large scale customers, talking about platform topics, ATF being one of them, citizen development is another big topic, or automating pipelines, deployments. So we, we try to understand where customers are today, where they want to be, how far does the platform help, or 
hinder certain mm-hmm, actions, right? Mm-hmm. What do we need to improve? And, and taking that feedback that I get from customers, uh, that, that we learn from customers, and, and bring it back into the product team saying, hey, here, here we do need to improve, here we need to change or create documentation might be some pieces that we do. Um, so it, it's, it's being that gap bridge or, uh, yeah, I think bridge might be a good term between a customer environment and our product development teams, um, translating messages forth and back there. Okay, let's turn to our topic then. Your area of expertise, one of them is automated test framework or ATF. Give us an overview about that. ATF is our take on automated testing for ServiceNow on ServiceNow. Yeah, there, there are plenty of other tools out there like a Selenium and whatever else you might have there. Um, but they are heavily focused on the UI testing, remotely controlling UI, clicking buttons and things like that, versus ATF, as we do it, can be very much server-side running natively in ServiceNow. It's, it's a no-code, low-code environment uh, for, for all these non-technical people to create test cases and automating their tests. Um, yeah, that, that is where we set ATF. Okay. Give us a, a spotlight of what it can and cannot test because we've now got several different experiences. We've got UI 16, we've got Service Portal, we've got Workspace, all of them in different states of development and support. So what what can we and what cannot we test? Yeah, absolutely, Chuck. So um, everything that's UI 16, the classic UI, uh, as, as I tend to call it, yeah, that is quite fairly, you can test pretty much everything on that UI is opening forms, clicking buttons, related lists, finding records and all that kind of things works really nice and, and great in the classic UI. If it comes mm-hmm. to a service portal, we, we, we have uh, that that is also quite well supported. You can use sort of portal pages, navigating around, finding text on these and things like that. So that, that all works pretty well. Um, where it is a little bit more difficult is custom UIs. If you really build your complete own custom pages, maybe still building on Jelly, it's still out there, right? Uh, or in Service Portal, um, uh, um, your own uh, Angular pages, you can still call them up and read them, but not all elements might be as easy to access. So, so we're we investing there. There have been new features. We just had a um, platform academy about custom UI tests, how to do that with Lisa. So if you want to look up that, how that works, that, it's out there. Uh, so we're building that up um, to, to have your coverage. Where we are indeed a bit short in coverage is the new UIs, the agent workspaces, uh, the UI builder created workspaces based on our size mm-hmm. or now UX framework. Um, that is one of our priority um, points to close that gap with the coming releases. So yes, there are certain things to be doable. You can call up a workspace and, and, and do some stuff in it, but certainly not all yet. And I know that mobile comes up from time to time. We've got a mobile experience and I've heard rumors, I'm, I'm not going to substantiate or deny anything here, that we have a uh, a simulator that's coming, that that's on the roadmap somewhere. Would it be reasonable to assume that when we get a simulator to test our mobile applications on the platform, don't have to, don't have to test them on your phone anymore, would that be a target for ATF as well? So safe harbor, as usual, applies there. Yes, but absolutely. Mobile is another topic on our roadmap that we want to make mobile testable from ATF. Yeah, and the simulator would certainly help that we can run it natively from in the platform. Like, um, yeah, maybe one thing as we just come up uh, with UI testing and and, and, 
uh, what is covered. So with the latest release of Rome, we finally have a headless UI runner. So you can test your complete UI interactions without having the need to have a browser up and running. So you could only start up a browser somewhere in your data center, do all the tests, take the screenshots and close that down when it's done. So that is one of the brand new features we just... Oh, you're, you're getting ahead of us. You're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> oh, I'm getting ahead. I'm sorry. No, don't worry about <laughs> I'm it. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> you yelled surprise before the person walked into the room. <laughs> Happy birthday. Wait. <laughs> what are you hearing back from our customers about ATF? So we actually have a lot of interactions with customers lately around ATF. Um, Typically, they have started using ATF, built the first test cases, and trying to and wondering about best practice. How should certain things be done? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, maybe they have some performance issues. Uh, the, the headless browser, uh, not getting ahead, is, is was another big topic in the in the past. So we see customers adopting it. They they use it, but they struggle in really rolling it out completely in their organization. And then that might be an organizational change or mindset change that needs to happen so that it really gets embedded into their development process lifecycle. You're right. That is a, a shift in mindset. If you've come from a test-driven development background, then this is native stuff. You're just thinking, Absolutely. I built something, it should have a test. But a lot of our developers don't have to. So, you know, they're, they're all about how do I get this into production fastest and fastest may not always be best. So what's the payoff of investing in ATF then? So the payoff for investing in ATF, I think there's, there's two big um, points you can address or improve using ATF. One is your release upgrades right? and uh Quite a lot of customers during release updates have a large set of manual tests. So they, they might have lots of people sitting there clicking through stuff and recording what they did and say, yes, it works or it didn't work. Right. And, and that takes just time and resources. It's costly, right? If you can automate a large chunk of that, you can cut down your upgrade time significantly. We have examples where people went from like 13 weeks upgrades to four weeks or three weeks upgrade. And that's significant. So that makes it much easier to follow our release cycles every every six months, right? Um and, and the other part that can really help is if you want to think about a constant deployment of changes into your environment. Traditionally, you would release maybe once a month, or if you're good, you would probably do it every mm-hmm. 14 days, something like that. Nowadays, people want these changes to be faster. They would ideally they want to release every night, right? A nightly deployment. And you can only do that if you can automate it. And part of that automation is automating your tests. In your mind, how do we change that mindset? How do we get people? How do we get developers to say, yes, I want to use ATF to shorten those upgrade cycles, to make my releases higher quality? And by the same token, how do we get their boss, the the director of app development or the VP of mm-hmm. software engineering, whatever you know, the hierarchy looks like, how do we get people further up the chain to say, this is something we must do? I think if we start further up the chain in the, in the, in the management level, that is a fairly easy sell, right? They, they are in for having things faster and quicker and cheaper as, as they automate it. So that, that part is quite easily justifiable. It, it gets difficult when you get to the, uh, let's say, working crew, because the, the initial thought is like, oh, now I need to have to do tests. It takes way more time. It, it, I, I can't develop because I need to do a test, something like that, right? So you're right. taking away their time. That's kind of what's in their minds. However, once they start using it and, and, and embed that into their process, 
we realize or we see with customers that it actually speeds up their development cycle because if they think about a test before they develop, that's a test development, yes. then you develop differently. You have already your test in mind and tailor your code or implementation towards the test. And once the test is there, you can use it as many times as you want. With every release, you, you suddenly see, oh, every change, I just rerun my test and I know it's still working. So you gain a lot of speed on the long way. The first day, it might see, might might look like you're losing time, but you're actually not. Well, that's a good point. That's it. Excellent. Thank you very much. The um, uh, You talked about the development. What skills are needed to implement ATF? So we have designed ATF to be a no-code, low-code tool. Yes, you can use ProCode. You can script in there. There's a script that you can run your awkward JavaScript, whatever you want to do. But the initial thought is you it is a low-code environment. So from, from that perspective, a business user, business analyst would be a good candidate to create these tests with some training, with some initial training. We we, we have typically three roles that we def, uh, define in ATF. One is the ATF admin administrator. Mm-hmm. So that would be the person setting up ATF, making sure your browser versions are, are there or headless runners if you want to use them um, or and, and, and set up is there, instances are there and things like that. Then we have a test designer, which is more that low code persona who can define a test, a content, create the, the test content. And that these are steps like open a form, clicking a button, filling out the values. And that is all a low-code environment. And then we have a third role, which is kind of a web service tester, which we see more like a professional, not in terms of it's being a complex task, but if you want to test a web service, it's typically an integration. You need to know the knowledge about integration, what's the return code, how does it react and things like that. So it's really more that knowledge around the integration, which says it's it's more pro coder tool but that's kind of the the personas and roles we see um maybe linked to that is one question like who should own tests who should write tests mm-hmm. uh and there it's kind of a what we see at customers is i'd say a 50 50 split right one one half says we have a dedicated test team a qa team oh they do the test they run the test they implement the tests uh, and the other is like, no, it's the developer themselves. The developer, as part of his code, needs to create tests. I'm not sure if there's a good or bad in these. Both of them have their advantages and disadvantages. My personal feeling is it should start with the developer. They need to think about tests as they develop. Right? Um, so at least that's where it starts. Do you need something overarching from a business analyst? Yeah, maybe you do. I would think so. It feels like a team effort in a way. Right. You want to agree yeah. on what the tests are so you understand what the functionality is and what the outcomes should be. Absolutely. Uh, to that note, how atomic, I'll call it, should the test be? I mean, you'd mentioned integrations. Would would the test fire off the flow and check the output or could you test a specific action to make sure that regardless of what flow it's in, this custom action or spoke or whatever works the way it's intended? Very good question, Chuck. And, and and actually, that's something we see at customers quite frequently, that they start with that end-to-end view of a test, right? So they want to test a complete change process, raising a change, prioritizing, conflict check, everything in one test. Um, and, and I would advocate that's not the best path to do, right? If, if something goes wrong after an upgrade, after a change, a deployment, that test fails somewhere in the long road and you have 
frankly no idea where it's stopping. Right? So you need to debug and it takes a long of time to find where it is. If you have smaller bespoke tests, like just an integration action, just that one action, you can be fairly sure yeah, it works or it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, you know where to look out. So I, I'd say rather have small bespoke test cases and bundle them up in a test suite so you can run the whole suite, making sure everything works. I like that because unit testing, you know, when I when I wrote a lot of code, uh, unit <laughs> testing was very important. You wanted to make sure that this particular API, this particular function did what it did every time. And heaven forbid you should ever have to change the API. It's like, oh, now I need a third parameter. You want to make sure that everybody's on board with that. And if it yeah. doesn't work right, well, somebody's not using it right, more than likely, because I've already tested the bricks that make up this wall. If there's a hole in the wall, it's not my brick because I've already tested the brick. Uh, so Daniel, you already gave us a hint about the headless runner in Rome. Is there more to it? Tell us how that runs. What's what's behind it? Yeah, so headless runner, one of the uh, maybe complaints or requests in the past from customers was, if you want to test a UI, you always had to have that browser window open, right? And, and running that on a virtual machine somewhere was difficult and cumbersome and it would fail and break and whatever. So now with Rome, we have that headless runner. It is still a browser that is automatically started and stopped. Right? So we need somewhere where that browser can be. And we decided to use a Docker image. So you, you can get from our docs page a link to that Docker image uh, that you can host anywhere in your data center, in an Amazon cloud, Google, wherever you want that on a Docker host. And all you need to do is basically make the connection between your ServiceNow instance and that Docker host. At the time you start an ATF run, we will figure out if we actually need a client runner or not. If we do, then we talk to the Docker host and say, hey, please start up the image. We'll need it. Run the test. And when we're done, we say, close it down. We're, we're done. So that, that's from a resource perspective, very uh, small footprint as we only use it when we need it. We can start up multiple of them if you run them parallel and things like that. But yes, you, you still need somewhere where we can have that headless browser. Interesting. Okay. And we did an episode of Live Coding Happy Hour where we set this up and noted that the documentation needed a little tweaking. So I'll say <laughs> by general availability in September of 2021, depending on when you're listening to this, we'll have that working so you can copy and paste just like it says. Uh, any new, any other new features in Rome? Yeah, there's a, another thing that I kind of like really much is uh, we put in a new screenshot engine. And in, in the past, our screenshots were a bit limited. You, you could have basically a defined real estate on your screen, like 600 by 400 pixels or something like that. If the screen wouldn't fit, we would cut it off at the screenshot, right? You, you'd miss the bottom part and things like that. That's not I nice, right? I never knew that. That's, <laughs> that's rather nasty. Like, you, you have an error, but we're not going to show it to you somewhere on this screen. Exactly, right? So you could make a really big screen, but you create a lot of white space if you don't need it. So sure. yeah, anyway, so the new screenshot engine is finally capable of resizing the viewport for the screenshot. So we will dynamically fetch whatever is there. And we also improved the quality of the screenshots, right? In the past, we couldn't really uh, capture like edge and workspace properly. It would also kind of fall off the edges and things like that. But we have improved that um, now with Rome. Uh, there are a couple of properties you need to set to activate if you're upgrading from a previous release. So it's not auto-active. Look out for these. But yeah, it, uh, that's a great new addition to ATF. Good to know. I'm glad you mentioned the properties and that they need to be manually activated because it's nice to know what is and what is not automatically done at upgrade time. You know, sometimes plugins get installed for existing customers or things are installed for new customers and not existing customers. So just understanding that, I really appreciate that. Are there any key best practices for ATF that our listeners should know about? Key best practice. So yeah, we actually had a 
um, a, a recorded session, a Platform Academy Foundation four weeks ago, six weeks ago, something like that about ATF best practices. So go out and, and look for that. It's on YouTube. It's like, a, an, I think, an hour session, 30 minutes when, and some Q&As around best practices. Um, if I want to pick out the key ones, I think two of them stand out to me. One is a test belongs to the package that it's being tested. So if you develop an application, your test should belong to that application. They, they go together. It's not something separate, not an aftermath that happens somewhere later. It's really part of the development lifecycle. Um, so it, it should be in the same scope or update set or how we, however you deploy that in, in your environment. Um, and, and the second piece, we talked about that a little earlier. Uh, I, I kind of keep it, uh, call it KISS, keep it simple, stupid, or small, right? Make smaller <laughs> tests, keep them simple, and, and rather have a lot of them than one big, large one. Good ideas. It, it, that kind of goes for any development in general. Start with those small pieces first, test them, make sure they work, and then build them into larger components. Can you give us a hint of what's on the roadmap? Oh, roadmap, looking out into the future. Huh? Um, well, one thing I mentioned already is uh, the UX framework, right? As we said, that is a, a big priority for us to make sure that we can test all the new user interfaces, mobile interfaces. So unfortunately, that's not something we will have in one release. So we'll, that will stretch out a couple of releases uh, going forward. But that is topmost priority. Other things we have, which I am kind of excited about, is we think about a UI refresh on ATF. Currently, it's all tables and lists and forms like the classic UI. We know that. And the data pill picker icon doesn't match the new flow icon. Yeah, things like that, right? So so we're thinking about revamping that interface and use something, let's say, flow designer-esque type interface where you get draws and lines and diagrams nice. and stuff like that. So that is a little bit out in the future, but that is one of the things that we have. Um, another thing being also been asked, and I think if you look in the community, you probably have seen that before, like a recorder, right? You can say, okay, now I'm starting my flow. Please record what I'm doing and create a test based on my steps. So you have at least... The, the framework to start off with your test. So that's another thing we have on our roadmap. It's again, not this year, maybe next year, maybe never. We we will see. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the backlog. We just need developers to get some bandwidth, like everything else. <laughs> resource yeah. limitations, resource limitations. So Daniel, walk me through the process of having that discussion with the customer who says this may be broken or this is painful or we really like to see or this would be very helpful you know one of those conversations they have with the customer and walk me through the process of what it takes to get that into the product into the platform so that all customers have access to that ooh that's a good one i've i've been in that role only since beginning of the year but uh, so i think that the the regular the, the Standard flow in that would be when, when we get that from a customer, you kind of validate it uh, with other customers, we synchronize, take the community, and, and, and talk, as we talked to other customers, try to socialize that and see is that a one off uh, or is that something bigger? Is that, does that how, how much importance does it have? And then we bring it back into the product team uh, and, and try to get in the roadmap. Um, and and it, it depends, comes then probably really into play how big is that piece, right? If it's something really huge and big and important. Um, then usually that's something we could probably try to carve our time for the next or the next next release. So let's say say six to twelve months. If it's not as huge, then it might be more on the backlog piece, taking maybe a year or two to get there. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Daniel. Before we leave, can you let the listener where they can get in touch with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you'll you'll find me in LinkedIn. I guess you'll put out a link somewhere. I'm not sure. Um, you you, you find me in the community. I'm there. Uh, you can text me in community on on email, right? Um, just reach out via your account teams asking for the product team, and uh, then we can get in contact. All right, that takes us to the end. And thank you very much for joining us today, wonderful listener. Don't forget to check out the other ServiceNow podcasts. You can find them at community.servicenow.com under the resources menu or go to servicenow.com slash podcast singular. Like any other good table names. Oh, oh, very clever. I like that. Now now everybody has a way to remember. Servicenow.com slash podcast. Thank you, Daniel. Well, I'm going to add that to the podcast going forward. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe give you attribution on every episode. You can subscribe to this podcast to get it free and automatically delivered to you. Find the links where you get all your other podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify. Again, thank you so much, Daniel. It's been a lot of fun talking to you about ATF today and hope to talk to you again sometime soon in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. It was a pleasure. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening.